Hi guys, Megan here, and Pravi, him too, which is fitting because this little bit here is to apologize for and also warn you about the fact that there is some hinky audio in this episode, and I don't know why or where it came from. Neither does Pravi, and he feels even worse about it than I do. We got our whole new mic set up and everything was great, and we did an audio test, and for whatever reason, after we recorded, for a good 60% of this episode, I do sound like a strange robot creature. And yeah. But you know, I can't think of too many things more on brand for Oh No Lit Class than the sweet, sweet sense of irony that you're going to experience hearing me proudly declare that with the new second microphone, our audio problems are a thing of the past in a fucked up robot voice. I still think it's a pretty good episode. Enjoy. You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. to Oh No Lit Class, the, the podcast that asks, why use only two words when there are at least 20 perfectly good ones available? I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And before we get into this episode's book, um, we have a couple of cool announcements to make. First one is that this is our first episode recorded on the much-anticipated second microphone. I got a big black microphone of my own. It's true. It's it's very sleek and sexy. Hopefully it'll be a no more uneven, you know, levels issues and just a better auditory experience for everyone. The second announcement is that we are rolling out some extra content for minisodes called Study Bricks. These are going to be short, like, 10 to 15 minute episodes with different, like, guests every time talking about their favorite sort of lit adjacent topics, things that we normally like won't be able to cover on the show. And they're going to be Patreon exclusive. The first study break episode will be live on Patreon next Thursday, um, and that'll be public, so anyone will be able to listen to that one. But after that, they will be Patreon exclusive. And that's just like, that's just a $1. So is it a real dollar, Meg, or is it like 99 cents? <laughs> it's a real dollar. See, that's just bad marketing. You should really make it 99 cents. I don't think Patreon lets you do that. Oh, then you could take the initiative and send everyone a penny in the mail. Oh, yeah. Pledge to Crazy Megan's Patreon Shack and we'll send you a shiny penny in the mail just for you. That's a bonus. That seems like bad business sense, Mr. Financing with RJ. You send people letters that have dicks on them. No, that's the best business sense and they love it. So those will be coming out every Thursday that Ono Lit Class isn't. So every other, other Thursday. So if it's Thursday and you're like, oh, there's no episode of Ono Lit Class. I'm super bummed out. Nah, just head over to our Patreon and take in that week's study break. We've got a, a few recorded in the tank and I'm excited for you to hear them. More for me not to listen to. <laughs> I'm really not sure how this microphone benefits me in any way. Uh, well, you don't have to sit on top of me anymore. Smell your pizza breath? Yeah, what? I don't understand. 
Pizza's a good thing. Yeah, okay. It's just a weird insult. People don't want to smell your pizza breath. My pizza breath is lovely. Nope. It smells like pepperoni and onions. Oh, okay, fine. There, yeah, you win. That's bad. That's, oh, that's not... that was real hard. <laughs> well, onions just... All right, that's neither here nor there. Let's get started with the episode. Today, we are taking on the middle school classic, The Outsiders. The story of a bunch of greasy boys in the 50s? They're greasy 50s? like pizza, like you eat. Yes. Like your breath smells. Greasy pizza boys. So the outsiders. The insiders. The, ins- the inside, the outside. Babies, Abbies. The Adels. Sl- yeah. Was she on the outside or is she on the other side? No, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are on the other side. That's No, that's how long the, they'll slide. All the way to the other side. <laughs> Adele, Adele is on the outside. Let her in. Let that Adele in your house. If you're cold, they're cold. Let her inside. Is Frozen on the outside too, for some reason? Uh, Locked in a room? Come on out and play. Let's build a snowman. (laughs) Yes, this is a novel about a bunch of poor greaser boys growing up wanting to build a snowman. No, this is about... Well, they can't afford the snowman. uh, This is a coming-of-age story about uh, inequality and feelings and punching by S.E. Hinton. It's very much not about race or gay. No, it's definitely not about either of those things. Anyway, yeah, so The Outsiders has enjoyed... Got probably close to 50 years of chilling out at the top of the middle school must-read list. In writing The Outsiders, uh, S.E. Hinton played a pretty major role in helping shape what we would go on to sort of solidly define as young adult literature. It was very kind of important in shaping that landscape. Obviously, people wrote books for teens before the 60s, but around the time that Hinton wrote it was when, like, the sort of contemporary birth of the genre was happening, and it sort of gained more traction in the 70s, during what is apparently referred to as the first golden age of YA literature, featuring authors like Robert Cormier, who did The Chocolate War, and I think, like, The Day No Pigs Would Die, Judy Bloom, which we bring up all the time, like, with Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which we're all still, like, Pretty big things even when I was a kid, although the paperbacks at that point were kind of kind of in a rough shape, yellowed pages, smelling funky, and The Outsiders was no exception. But before we can talk about the book, Arjun's got to tell us thing about S.E. Hinton. Actually, my favorite trope that comes from this is you know having two rival gangs, you know, kind of like the Sharks and the Jets. <laughs> Did this? I have no idea what your West Side Story came out. That's not American Graffiti. Okay, why don't you just, why don't you tell us about our, our girl? Because this is a girl. You know, it's kind of like, you know, George Lucas, you know, the Sith and the Jedi, the Sharks and the Jets, the Soches and the Greasers. It all makes sense when you really think about it. Yeah, the Sith were really pissed Soch? at the Jedi. Oh, wait, were the, are the Sith the Soch? Yeah. This is that's gonna be a really confusing sentence. Well, who had? We haven't even talked about well, who what a Soch the, is. Who had the greasy hair? Luke, Obi Wan, Qui Gon Jinn. No, they didn't. Their hair. Obi Wan's hair was immaculate. I will not hating Christensen. For this slander. His hair was a little greasy. Yeah, the Jedi. Okay, this this is so far off and not. It's so far off in the universe. You know, I'm funny. just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. That's right? great. Okay. Are you are you done Star Wars memeing? I have the high ground here. 
Susan Eloise, better known as S.E. Hinton, was born July 22nd, 1948, and died sometime in the future. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Isn't the tagline of this show, Dead Authors, Fresh Takes? Uh, well, no, because I remember I made us re-record our, our intro tag, and now it says, Mostly Dead Authors, Fresh Takes. David, she's alive. She's not on a life support as far as I know. And more importantly, Meg, don't you remember what happened when we did old uh, Marge Atwood and her episode? Pretty much nothing because she has better things to do with her time. Yeah, and it turns out that she was still alive and well when we did her episode. Yeah. And like how since then she was replaced by a long distance sex robot that she created. You know, I do remember hearing something about that. What do you think's going to happen to old GE over here? General Electric? Anyway, back to BE. Oh, that's the joke. Always quick on your feet. I try. She's lived a rather secluded and private life. And still being alive, there hasn't exactly been much done in the way of biographies or anything quite yet. So what better place to get all the info on old BE than from her own website? So let's see what old AE has to say about herself. Most of her website actually refers to herself in the third person. I feel like that's fairly standard for professional websites about yeah. people. Sup, welcome to my sick website. Yeah, GeoCities, Angel some, Fire. Yeah, really. Here's some sparkly gifts. So this is how her website reads. Quote, I'm a very private person, and I'm very uncomfortable talking about my personal life. But a few facts. Susan Eloise Hinton was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She has always enjoyed reading, but wasn't satisfied with the literature that was being written for young adults, which influenced her to write novels, like The Outsiders. It's, it's weird that she starts it in the first person, like, hey, sup, I'm S.E. Hinton, let me tell you about myself, and then proceeds to go on as though that she's a whole different person. And that brings us to this week's episode of Marketing with RJ, Power Move Special, giving that Old uh, ZE over there gave us a real power move. Now, this week's power move special is brought to you by Dolkoax. What? Not having those big, beefy power bow movements of yesteryear. You really committed to that one. (laughs) Dolkoax. Why is it beefy? We got you, fam. And by fam, we mean your colon, bro. We got your colon, fam. We're, We're old. We're old and white. Anyway... Marketing power moves, still alive, and want to let people know that they should think about you. Create a website. Or scream at them. And talk about yourself in the third person. You seem rich and famous enough as if you can hire people to write about you. Everyone expects you to say nice things about yourself, which is why you have to outsource the job. Or even better, make it seem like you're outsourcing the job, but just do it yourself. So not only are you building your brand, but you're also saving some money. And you're a job creator. For yourself. Exactly. Now, a famous business person I know of... Like how you qualify that. A famous business person that I know of. Back in the 80s, allegedly called newspapers under the name John Miller and John Barron to talk mm. about how awesome he was yeah. and how big his hands were. Great. This guy took things to the next level by naming a son not just after himself, but then naming another son after his made-the-fucking-up publicist. Love them Trump jokes. Barron. Made-the-fucking-up made publicist. Yep. It was a made-up fucking publicist. Or fucking made-up publicist. I see. You could phrase it in so many different ways. English is an amazing language. It's beautiful. Um, so he named his his child after a fake persona of his. Yep. 
that's I don't know if I'd call that a power move so much as just really weird. Well, he couldn't name. Well, I guess he could have taken the George Foreman route and just named him all Donald Jr. But he already had a Donald Jr. I'm honestly kind of surprised he didn't, or that he didn't just like eat his young like a hamster. Oh, that's savings for you. <laughs> Now, if you follow these tips, you too may wind up in a white house of sorts. Now, since you all seem to love acronyms and they help you with the learning process, no, here's don't. the one for this week. We don't love acronyms. Oh, yeah, we do. No, we don't. Remember Punch? Unfortunately. Consider Harambe. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> don't offer to name drop alone. Why? And develop third-person rooters under made-up pseudonyms. Don't offer to name drop Oh, alone, not like a loan. Correct. Don't offer <laughs> to name drop alone. Lie and develop third person rooters under made up pseudonyms. Oh, fuck me. It says Donald Trump. Yeah, the easy way to remember that's a simple acronym D O N A L D T R U M P or Donald Trump. Well, now you got punch Donald Trump <laughs> dick. <laughs> They're beginning to tell a story. That's what it is. I'm pretty sure you had other acronyms, but I can't remember any of them right now either, so. I remember the important ones. Ah. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Marketing with RJ, Power Licketh. Move Special. Licketh. That was one. <laughs> Punch Donald Trump. Licketh the dick. No! Don't do that. You do one and the other. Oh, God. All right. This was brought to you by... This was brought to you by Quicker Oats Oatmeal. It's like colon boil. But real, quicker oats oatmeal. Your body needs fiber, or your intestines will seize. Trust me. Without fiber, no one is gonna know what we're joking about. So. Yeah, you also don't think people know about colon ball, but they will. Uh, <laughs> oh, you will. Yeah. Okay. So one's like a forty-year-old Saturday Night Live bit, and the other one is a reference to a very good YouTube video called Bane Outtakes, which you should go watch now, and then you'll get the joke we just made. Ha ha! Comedy! Accessibility! I have the high ground. Anyway, back to R.E. She reports that, quote, I read constantly and occasionally take a class at the university. Not for credit. It's more fun when you don't have to take the test. Eh, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's not wrong. She seemingly prefers handwriting things, quote, A writer's life is not very exciting. Usually you're alone in a room with your tools. Paper, pen, imagination. I usually write longhand first, then I put it to a computer. We're going to follow this up later when we figure out... She did figure out the computer hooks up to the internet, which hooks up to Twitter. <laughs> and we investigate, does she handwrite... Her tweets before she puts them out on the internet. Yep, she meticulously writes them out in uh, longhand, possibly even in like calligraphy. Yeah, she maybe she considered doing that. And what do <laughs> you think? All she does is write. She also shares. I walk the dog, ride my horse, wander the grocery store, wondering what to cook for dinner. <laughs> Just wander the aisles, thinking about avocados, as writers do. She bemoans. So much for my glamorous life. Oh, Essie. Oh, and just so you know, she is not alone. I have a great husband, a wonderful son. I won't invade their privacy by saying any more. Unless I want to write about them. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> That's so <Well>, ominous. <laughs> and then I guess all bets are off, assholes. LOL. Mommy's going to write about that time I caught you masturbating to Digimon. That's a very specific example. 
It is. D- which Digimon did you masturbate to, RJ? And that is T.E.'s entire bio from her own website. Taking a step back. Was it Agamon? Here's the image that I me. have. A woman who aimlessly wanders the aisle of a grocery store, wondering what to cook for herself, her husband, and her son. After making the decision, she wanders home, clears her mind by walking her dog while on horseback, <laughs> and then settling in with pen and paper to come up with the lines she'll later type onto her computer and maybe post on her bio page, or maybe on her Twitter. Lines like, S.C. Hinton currently lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma with her husband, David. Her son, Nick, is away for college. So QE has been married to her husband, David, since 1970 when she was 22. The two of them met while in a freshman bio class. I guess they studied together and wanted to practice dividing cells or something like that. And boom, they made a baby. That's how babies work. Like a real storybook romance. Oh no, biology. Of R.E.'s favorite author, she claims she really enjoys fellow Ona Wicklass alumnus F. Scott Fitzgerald and Jane Austen. H.E. also apparently loves writing fan fiction and posting it online under fake names, as one does. She told Vulture.com that she's written at least three pieces of what she called outsider fan fiction and posted it online and got great feedback. People told her that it seemed like she really understood the characters. It's almost like you just brought them yourself. She also apparently enjoys writing fan fiction about the show Supernatural. Exe has stated that some of the favorite things that she's ever read and some things that have made her cry are other pieces of fan fiction. One in particular being a piece of outsider fan fiction. She said that she wrote the writer, a European woman who didn't believe was actually Y.E. writing to her. Effie told the woman to keep writing and to never give up. That woman? Albert Einstein. Actually, no. I have no idea who that woman is. It's weird to me that she... I mean, I love the idea of, of authors writing fan fiction in their own works, like under like fake names or whatever. That, that kind of tickles me. I like that. I think it's weird what we're going to talk about, you know, in the context of the fact that she's apparently all up in the outsider's fan works where people tend to sort of make their own thoughts and headcanons about characters and whether or not they're gay, but we'll get there. Well, I know for sure they're not black. So one thing to keep in (laughs) mind, as Megan will explain, Annie was 15 when she started to write The Outsiders, doing most of the work when she was 16, and then getting the novel published when she was 18. Talk about being an overachiever. Seriously, I, I... Gotta remind myself to shower. Well, she says she well, and brush that, that dirty yes, pizza that breath dirty out your mouth. Pizza mouth, continue. Yeah, onions and pepperoni, people. She says she wrote the novel because she saw economic disparity in Tulsa, where she grew up, and where The Outsiders is based, and she wanted to give a voice to the poor, known as the greasers in the novel, even though she was part of the economically affluent, known as the socias in the novel. Well, Megan, tell us about the Adels. Wait, oh, because oh, they're on the outside. Ah. <laughs> Again, Megan, quick on her feet, getting off. Always. Hinton had said that she didn't like the kind of teeny bopper bullshit that made up the majority of like pop culture fair available at the time. She went to a school where the hatred between the upper and lower class kids was so intense that they had to enter the school through separate doors because otherwise they would all beat the shit out of each other. And so she's like, I'm going to write a book about that. Apparently shit was pretty fucked in in 1960s Tulsa, Oklahoma. Also, she didn't make it very far, huh? Nope. (laughs) Hashtag Tulsa for life. Hey man, Tulsa's a cool town. 
You have never been. Look. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like many of the books that we talk about on here, um, The Outsiders has frequently been challenged because gang violence, which is, like, obviously, you fucking dinglings. Like, that's the point of the book, the gang violence. As I always well, hated war and peace. Too much war. Exactly. Only peace, please. <laughs> as well as underage drinking, smoking, and here's my favorite one, family dysfunction. This um, makes me wonder, were the Berenstein Bears ever, you know, challenged? <laughs> a lot of the same themes <laughs> pop up there. It's true. They talk a lot about gang violence. Um, oh, Papa Bear, he goes around capping it. Things to people's asses. <laughs> and He's busting caps. Way. He's busting caps and all the other bears' asses. But yeah, no, like family dysfunction. Like we can't have kids reading this. They might find out that families sometimes have problems. They might see their own home life reflected in this book. And just God, I hate people. They're so fucking dumb. God. It's me again. Yeah, still feel real bad about most of this whole situation. But you know what I don't feel bad about? Our incredibly awesome patrons who support us on Patreon and are just delightful and growing in numbers. Right now, when I'm recording this, we're up to 23, which is wild. And eventually I'm going to reach a point where I am not going to be able to recite all of them at once in an episode as much as I want to, as much as I, I have the strong need and desire to in my soul. And it'll probably just have to do just, you know, new ones only probably when we hit like 50 or something. If we ever hit 50, but until then, here goes. And RJ isn't around, so I'm picking the style of the Animaniacs Nations Around the World song. It's an iconic video. That is probably the only reason I know even the small, pathetic handful of countries that I can immediately identify. So... There's Alexander, Melina, and Sarah, and Brandon, and Wendy, and Tanner, and Jen. There's Lucas, and Kiki, and Amy, and Janet, and Ben, who's at Canis JM. Oh, Florian, Pseudobred, Jared, and Sam, Dirk Dammit, at Killing You Guy. Not Alone Podcast at Not Alone Pod. Katie, Karen, and Aaron, oh my. There's Chris at Play Comics, and Ariel, and she's at Ariel Teague. Our supporters are all of them ever so awesome. They're all in their very own league. Thank you. Thank you very much. This episode's podcast, pal, is the Pretend Radio Podcast, which is an incredible true crime uh, interview style show that is frankly way too good to be promoted on our show, but there you go. That is about uh, uncovering the crimes and stories behind people who lie for a living, people whose lives are in, in some way lies. Lie, lie, lie lives. That's what, you know, that's what he should call the show. Lie lives. But no, thankfully, he he didn't. I'm not a huge true crime person, and I love this shit. It's so good. Here, check it out. At the heart of every crime, there's a lie. In order to do this job well, you're going to have to learn to lie. But you're going to have to remember who you're lying to, and when to lie and when not to lie. But a lie is only powerful if you choose to believe it. 
it all came out. All the story came out. It turned out he had two wives and five fiancés, that he wasn't marrying women because he loved them. He was actively impregnating women to rip them off for money, me being one of them. So why do we fall for it every time? My, my father told me at a young age, he, just, he says, Carl, the two easiest things to sell anybody, anything that'll improve their looks and anything that'll make them money. And that's what you want to sell. Pretend Radio is a documentary podcast about people pretending to be someone else. I interview real con artists, snake oil salesmen, and former cult members, anyone living a lie. Search for Pretend Radio wherever you get your podcasts. So, without further ado, The Outsiders, as it is hinted. The story opens with the iconic lines, When I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride home. As our narrator and protagonist, 14-year-old pony boy Curtis walks home from the movies and tells us his eye color, his hair color, and that he wishes he looked like Paul Newman and that his hair is really great. Seriously, you guys. Also, his name is Pony Boy, but that's not as important as his very good hair. He's a greaser, which is kind of like John Travolta and his pals in Greece, except instead of song and dance numbers, they steal shit and get into fights because they're all poor and it sucks. And is they... that not what they do in Greece? No, nah, mostly in Greece they just sing and Greece Latin drive in. a car. Greece Latin in. <laughs> And make weird allusions to rape. That's uh, Dianetics for you. Yeah, well, and they uh, they feud with the Socius, which RJ mentioned before. It's short for social, which is kind of I weird. I didn't mention that. Well, you mentioned the phrase soch. Yeah. That's what I was saying, you mentioned it before. It stands for social, which is kind of weird because it's just the rich upper class kids. I can't really imagine a world where a bunch of rich yuppie little shits could potentially get the drop on like some hardcore hood kids in a straight fist fight, but the 60s were a wild time. Anyway, so Ponyboy, which, by the way, is not his special greaser gang nickname. That's his actual name because his parents were crazy people. Ponyboy. Ponyboy. And I say that they were crazy because it's established that they died fairly recently in a car crash. Possibly just, you know, driving while distracted, thinking up more names to inflict on future children. Ponyboy also has an older brother named Soda Pop. And an oldest brother named Daryl, which is usually shortened to Derry, but still begs the question, like, what happened with Daryl? One of these things is not like the other, and weirdly enough, it's not Pony Boy. Like, why did Daryl not get a special name? Guess he had to grow up to be Daryl Hammond. That's not even a good joke. You want to give that another try? Nope. Okay. I'm glad you think it's funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, young Pony, as it is often shortened to... He's walking home from the movies, thinking about his very good hair, when he's jumped by five socias who are following him in a car, because they're a bunch of fucking wealthy teenage sociopaths looking to beat the hell out of a 14-year-old kid. Like, seriously, they, they kick his ass and they cut him with a knife. Pony Boy's into this. He was like, yes, Daddy, more. No, no, he was not. Uh, yeah, he was. <laughs> I might not be able to point to it in the text if uh, old OE told me to, but I think it's there. I think it's a valid interpretation, mm. because... It's my interpretation. Interpretations can be personal. Okay. We're, you're already making fun of stuff we haven't even broken into yet. We keep dancing around it. We're going to talk about it more after I finish going through the summary, but 
Essie Hinton gets very uppity when it comes to people interpreting her novel, which is weird to me now hearing about the fan fiction thing. And if you're going to make claims about characters, then you got to be prepared to cite your sources or she will bitch you out on Twitter. Put you on blast, yeah. She will. By the way, her Twitter... Twi- no, no, you're not tweeting. No one is going to tweet at Essie Hinton. Her Twitter handle is Essie for real Hinton. <laughs> and for it's, real. And, for, and it's the number four. Of course. So Essie, the number four real Hinton. <laughs> too Hinton, too furious. Don't tweet at Essie Hinton. It, tweet at her. No, she'll never hear this this podcast unless, like, I guess she has, like, a weird Google alert system set up for if someone makes a podcast about The Outsiders. This is a good time for me to remind everybody, you can find me on Twitter at RJ underscore OnoEquest. You had to think about it, huh? Tweet, tweet at RJ. That's fine. Do that. Tweet well, at RJ. Well, follow me on Twitter. Because I think there's going to be some fun tweets coming out of my account in the near future. Do not tweet at S.E. Hinton. So, who knows what else these young would-be Patrick Batemans would have done if Pony's gang didn't come running to his rescue. But luckily, his friends do come to the rescue, and now that it's an even fight, Socha's run away, and Pony's fellow greasers check to see if he's okay, giving Ponyboy time to give the reader some introductions to the members of his gang. There's his previously mentioned brothers, Soda Pop and Derry, as well as 2-Bit Matthews, who's called that because he's always making jokes and trying to get his two bits in. And Steve, who's there and named Steve. And then there's also Johnny Cade, the second youngest in the group at 16 and described by Ponyboy as, quote, a little dark puppy that had been kicked too many times and is lost in a crowd of strangers. Yep, sounds like a real vicious hood thug to me. Pony tells us that Johnny's parents are abusive alcoholics who are always fighting and that he spends much of his time being homeless to avoid being around them and that any love and affection he gets is from his fellow gang members. So really, they're kind of less of a gang in the typical sense and more a loose collection of sad and rowdy boys. Um, Big brother, big brother, little brother. Big brother, little sister, whatever they call this thing. I still don't understand what you're talking about. You adopt the little greasy kid. (laughs) Big brothers and big sisters. It's mentoring. Oh, it's a mentoring program. Okay. Now, the, the exception of Dallas Winston, who was arrested at the age of 10 and spent time in big, scary New York City and is really the only one out of all of them who might actually be dangerous. So, Derry yells at Ponyboy for being dumb enough to be out walking alone without, like, a knife or something, and then Pony yells that Derry's always just looking for reasons to yell at him, and then Soda yells that it really isn't fair to yell at Ponyboy because it's not his fault they're roving gangs of trust fund kids looking to beat them all up. Maybe Um, he shouldn't have dressed that way. Yep, he was just asking for it. With that greasy hair? (laughs) This is a running theme in the Curtis family. Yelling. Afterwards, though, Soda does lecture Ponyboy about behaving and that Derry loves him and he works hard to keep them together and out of the foster system. And Ponyboy, like a typical 14-year-old shithead, is just like, Yeah, I mean, I guess. Ugh, God. The following evening, Ponyboy and Johnny go to the drive-in movie theater with Dally, which is Dallas's nickname and totally doesn't get confusing at all when there's another character named Derry and you're in seventh grade and you have the attention span of a peanut, but, you know, whatever. Sketch dairies, sketch dallies. 
So they sneak in, and Ponyboy makes a point of telling us it's not because they can't afford the ticket price, is because Dally just gets a huge boner from, like, breaking any and all rules. Johnny doesn't get a boner from anything, because he's all timid and scared ever since he last got jumped by and the, Socius. And the Zoloft. And the Zoloft. He just can't can't get it up anymore. Yeah. Um, opium addiction's real, people. Seek out help. Not opium. Opioid. Yeah, guess what? Zoloft's not an opioid, you dipshit. <laughs> it's an antidepressant. Stay off drugs, kids. <laughs> Opioids are prescription painkillers like Vicodin. Stay off that, too. Yes, yeah, stay, stay. Well, no, don't. Well, antidepressants. Say no to drugs. Are, well, Dare to be different. Oh, boy. This message brought to you by Dare. That doesn't exist anymore because it Dare got defunct because it didn't work. So they sit down in this little area for people not in cars, and Dally starts trying to run game on these two Soch girls. Uh, one of which is a redhead that Ponyboy recognizes as a cheerleader at school named Sherry Valance. Dally flirts with her by putting his feet near her face and generally just being an asshole. Oh, she has a foot fetish, so... That's how flirting works, right? Yeah, if you're into feet, give him your feet. Where are you getting this from? Oh, the line in the book that says... My name, my name is Sherry Valance and I have a foot fetish? I love sucking on toes. Ew. So Ponyboy and Johnny are just kind of there, being embarrassed, as Sherry tells Dally to fuck off. Dally leaves, not out of respect for Sherry, saying she's not interested, of course. He just wants some soda. All that A-plus flirting makes a dude thirsty. The thirst is real? Yep. After he leaves, Sherry, who goes by Cherry, because her hair's red. That's, yeah, that's a great nickname. One letter difference. Uh, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta uh, pronounce it correctly. Sherry. And her friends, (laughs) they chat with uh, Pony and Johnny, remarking on how cute and comparatively non-threatening they are. She asks Ponyboy's name, and he's like, man, I hate when people ask me that. And, like, your parents are dead, Ponyboy. You can change your name to, like, Sam. No one's feelings are going to get hurt. PB. PB boy. (laughs) Uh, Oh, he needs a J. (laughs) Johnny's the J. Exactly. Together, (laughs) they make a pretty good sandwich. Not gay, though. Not gay. But anyway... They chat, and Dally comes back with sodas, and Cherry throws one in his face. Wait, they call him soda? (laughs) He comes back with multiple soda soda pop courtesies. (laughs) Cherry throws it in his face, because she wasn't fucking around when she said she wasn't interested. And Dally gets legit pissed, but Johnny stands up to him and tells him to chill. And Ponyboy tells us that Dally would beat the shit out of anyone else who tried to talk to him like that. But Johnny's able to get away with it. Because he's just such a cute, puppy-eyed little guy, and Dally's very attached to him, and I'm not going to make insinuations about repressed gay feelings. We'll get there. Anyway, Dally leaves again, and Pony and Johnny both feel like they have to say, like, look, Dally's not really that bad once she gets to know him, we promise. And the girls are like, mm, yeah, no, don't believe that. Then Tubit appears briefly and talks to them, and the only reason this is worth mentioning is because he offers the boys a weed, which is hilarious. It's like, you guys want a weed? Weirdly, though, he's not offering them that wacky tobacco, just like the regular non-wacky variety. I don't know why. Apparently that was a thing that they, they, they called regular cigarettes weeds at some point in the before times. But we get several other very good instances of, like, characters smoking a weed or asking for a weed or wanting a weed. And the singular usage just fucking tickles me. Love it. You guys want a weed? Anyway, Ponyboy and Cherry go to the concession stand to get popcorn, and she asks why Johnny seems so squirrely. And Pony tells her about the horrific beatdown he got from five socias 
who just totaled his ass and also cut his face all up because they were wearing rings because they were fancy boys. Johnny now carries a six-inch switchblade on him at all times, which I'm sure is a completely irrelevant detail, only thrown in for color that we'll never hear about again. And Cherry's like, holy shit, that's awful, but, you know, I I promise, all socias aren't like that, just like all greasers aren't like Dally. And Pony's like, okay, yeah, that's fair. And then she says, and hey, socias have problems too. Not like, you know, real problems, but, you know, definitely some kind of problems, probably. Life's hard for everyone, you know? And Pony's like, "Eh, you lost me. I know, every time I go to Starbucks, then I tell them, my name's RJ. Give me my mochaccino. And on the cup, they spell the name A-R-J-A-Y. What's the deal? Things are tough for everyone all over. It's it's hard times, my friend. (laughs) The girls walk home with Pony, Johnny, and Two-Bit. And Cherry and Pony have, like, this whole deep conversation about how, like, they're all just people. And that the social's money makes them numb to feeling anything. And that the greasers have nothing and they feel everything too intensely. And they just immediately seem to have, like, a pretty strong emotional connection. And they both can sense it. Which sucks, because then a sick blue Mustang pulls up and these two social assholes, Randy and Bob, pop out. And surprise, they're the boyfriends of Cherry and Cherry's less important friend. They're super pissed that their girlfriends are walking around with these gross poor kids. And Cherry yells at him about how he was shitty and drunk before, and that's why they left. And Randy and Bob are about to throw down with our boys when Cherry agrees to leave with them if they'll chill the fuck out and leave the greasers alone. She then turns to Ponyboy and is like, Hey, you're really cool, and we have this very like clear and intense sudden bond, but also, don't ever try to talk to me in school, because I won't acknowledge you. Because I'm a cheerleader, and I've got an image to keep up. Don't take it personally. Sorry, not sorry. Bye! That's why I don't talk to you in public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're a cheerleader, and you've got an image to keep up. So 2-Bit leaves Pony and Johnny in a vacant lot where they smoke, look at the stars, and talk about how much their lives suck and how they wish they could leave everything behind and maybe live out in the country somewhere. And they should be careful what they wish for. Are they in the country already? Not nah, well, that depends on how you define Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. I'm just saying, I don't know, I, uh, I don't know how metropolitan that area is. They fall asleep on top of each other. Ponyboy wakes up freaked, realizing it's super late and he needs to get home. He gets home at like 2 a.m. and Derry screams at him that he had no idea where Pony was and was going to call the cops, except then that might give him reason to split the boys up. Then Soda yells at Derry again, and then Derry yells at Soda, and then Pony yells at Derry to not yell at Soda, and like, if you keep this up, the neighbors are going to call CPS just to get your asses to shut up. Anyway, Derry hits Ponyboy, and this freaks him out so bad that he runs right out the house back to the lot to Johnny. Initially wanting to run away, but settling for a walk around the park to give Derry time to cool down. Because it's fucking cold out, and running away sounds hard. There, on the cold wind, can you hear it? It sounds like foreshadowing. Hello from the outside. <laughs> it sounds like Adele. They hang out at the park, and Hinton makes sure to mention that there's a big fountain in the park. No reason, just, you know. Thought you should know. There's a fountain there. Just sitting there. It's filled with water. Is it of youth? Uh, Probably not, no. Just uh, being a fountain, as fountains tend to be. And then what should show up but the blue Mustang that belongs to Bob the Drunk Soch Dude. And he has not just his friend Randy, but three other dudes with him as well. 
They exchange words with Pony and Johnny and then try to drown Ponyboy in the fountain. What the fuck? Like, tell me again why everyone thinks the Greasers are the scary hood kids. They, they ain't fucking drowning people in fountains. They're practicing their waterboarding techniques. For when they grow up and get government jobs. Yeah. <laughs> their parents told them, start young. Yep. Well, anyway, Pony blacks out and wakes up next to the fountain to find that... He's gay. <laughs> We're not at that part yet. Somebody sucking his cock. Oh, yep. Yeah, he's just, he wakes up, someone's sucking his dick. No. Bob is dead. Not Bob. Yep. Oh, Bob. R.I.P. Bob. All we knew about you is that you were drunk and an asshole. The rest of the socials are gone, and Johnny is sitting by a pony holding a blood-soaked switchblade. And now, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, because we're not supposed to extrapolate conclusions from this text that aren't there. But I think Johnny might have stabbed Bob to death. Can you cite to (laughs) the evidence in your text? (laughs) I think we can say, safely, that Johnny stabbed Bob to death. So the boys freak out and run to Dally for help because while you can go to Soda or Tubit for your emotional problems, you go to Dally for your murder problems. Dally's solution is 50 bucks, a handgun, a hearty slap on the ass, and instructions to hop a train to Windricksville and hide out in an abandoned church up on a mountain until Dally comes to get them and this whole loopsy-daisy homicide situation has blown over. So look at that, they get to run away to the countryside after all! Yay! On the road again. So Pony and Johnny follow his directions and make it to church. <laughs> to make it to church, 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 So they wake up the next day, and Ponyboy can hardly believe that they were at the movies, like, literally just last night. As he realizes that Johnny isn't there, Johnny walks back in with supplies he went out and bought. Food, matches, probably a weed or two, and also a copy of Gone with the Wind. Apparently Pony's been really wanting to read it, and Johnny remembered this and got the book so Pony could read it aloud to both of them. And this isn't an adorably sweet and romantic gesture at all. Why would you say that? Where are you getting it from? You're crazy. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Okay. Duly noted. (laughs) But it's not all fun and gay. Johnny says they need to disguise themselves, and so they have to cut and dye their hair. And let me tell you, Ponyboy has a way more intensely visceral emotional reaction to getting a haircut than he did to seeing the dead body of a guy who tried to kill him who was then killed by one of his best friends. I mean, murder's one thing, but haircuts! That's just, that's a step too far. That's beyond the pale. Yeah, I just realized now, Ponyboy. Yeah. It'd be way better if he talked like a horse. It would be, if he was like Mr. Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny, you committed a murder! His steps would be much bigger than a normal step. It's true. Step too far for a horse? That's a pretty far step. Yeah. Now, is that like one of those dressage steps? Yes. Mm. That that goes without saying. So, they cry a bunch when they cut each other's hair. And then they cry about, like, the actual situation they're in, which, like, yeah, that's a lot. That's that's fair. And then they comfort each other and read Gone with the Wind and pass what I'm sure is a very heterosexual five days. At one point, they watch a sunset together, and Ponyboy is moved to recite the Robert Frost poem, Nothing Gold Can Stay, which RJ has never heard of. Putting you on blast. What the fuck, dude? If you had to think of the most famous fucking Robert Frost poem, 
I think you only like two. This one and the two paths diverging in a wood. In fact, I don't think I can think of any other Robert Frost poems. I just, I don't know. I don't know any. How? What kind of shitty English major are you? I don't read these lesser poets. Robert Frost is a lesser poet? Yeah. Who's a greater poet? John Donne. Oh no, like class alum. Okay, so you, what you're really saying is you won't read poems unless they're about fucking. That's not true. I read E.E. E. Cummings. Ah. I would. It's, it's a good poem right there. It has his coming in it. Ah. It has coming in it. All Maya right. Angelou? She might do poems about fucking. I don't know. I didn't read more of Maya Angelou. So, it's a short poem, and it goes as follows. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaf's a flower but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. And the boys share a, a quiet moment among nature. But nothing gold can stay, and the plot comes roaring back as Dally appears at the church to tell them that Derry and the other boys are worried about Pony and Johnny, and that the two boys' pictures are in the paper. Bob's murder also has the Soch Greaser tensions ready to fucking explode. Dally's even carrying a gun with him now, although apparently it's not loaded, which doesn't seem particularly useful. And also Cherry has secretly flipped sides and is spying for the Greaser, so clearly she isn't too broken up about Bob getting stabbed murdered. How greasy is her hair? It's super greasy now, still very red. And I mean, like, to be fair, he did have it coming. He was trying to, to do a drown murder, after all. Anyway, Dally takes the boys out for wanted murderer ice cream sundaes at Dairy Queen, which is not a joke, but something that actually happens, and tells them that Cherry wants to help the boys by testifying in court that Bob was drunk and that Johnny killed him in self-defense. This makes Johnny decide that he and Pony should turn themselves in. They drive back to the church only to find that, well, uh, that a lot's happened since they've been gone. You, uh, what do you, what do you think they find? They're all even straighter than before. It's not about, they don't find out something about themselves. <laughs> it's not a personal thing. They find out there's kids burning in a church. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yes, the church is now on fire. That is the thing. And there are little kids running around everywhere screaming because their teacher brought them there for a school picnic, which doesn't sound like a thing. Like they, a thing that's real. You mean you never had... A school picnic on top of Mountain Jay. I did. Jay Mountain. On top of Jay Mountain by the old abandoned church. Everyone does. <laughs> yeah, it's like a DC trip you take in fifth grade. Ah. The Jay Mountain trip. Eh. Fourth grade. Right. Well, yeah. unfortunately, some of the kids are missing because they're in the church. That's on fire. You got to use the buddy system. They're not very good at it. Pony and Johnny run in to rescue the kids, and Dally reluctantly follows to make sure they don't die. And Pony catches on fire, and Dally whacks him on the back to put the flames out, and Pony passes out. He wakes up in an ambulance, and they reach the hospital. He's pretty much fine, just kind of beat up, but Dally burned his arm, and poor Johnny is all fucked up. He got burned pretty badly, and on top of that, when they were in the church, a fucking wooden beam fell on his back. Pony's brothers come to the hospital, and instead of all yelling at each other, they all cry a bunch, because greasers, it seems, only have two emotions. Yelling and crying. Well, if you haven't noticed yet, she basically has greasers playing the role of Native Americans of, like, the, na the noble savage. And that they are sim simple folk with very simple emotions. Which, there's a lot of Native Americans in Oklahoma. This is true. And so, 
It's not too much of a stretch, but I don't know if I can have any sources to cite to. Yeah, I don't know if there's any textual. That's true. You know, we, we're focusing a lot on the gay stuff. We really haven't touched the race stuff, but... Uh, Although you said some, one of them's referred to as brown. Well, no, none of them are referred dark. to as brown. Well, Johnny. Yeah, well, there you go. Dark. Dar- yeah, dark. Uh, so... Once they're done yelling and crying, reporters and cops come to interview the hero boys, and the next day their pictures are in the paper as juvenile delinquents turned heroes. However, when Johnny gets out of the hospital, he will still have to go to trial for manslaughter. Man's laughter. Man's laughter. Uh, Fortunately, or, you know, unfortunately, as the case may be, that might not be an issue. Johnny's just fucked up real bad and probably paralyzed and in an intense amount of pain. He asks Pony to read more Gone with the Wind to him, and then they go see Dally, who's, like, basically fine, but mad because he's stuck in the hospital and going to miss the upcoming final battle for all the marbles rumble against the Soches. And he asks how Johnny's doing, and Pony's just like, uh, yeah, no, he's good. He's good. He's, he's real good. He's awesome. But there's no time to worry about that, because it's rumble time, motherfuckers. Derry's hesitant about letting Ponyboy fight because, like, kids been through a lot in the past week, but Pony is amped to do what I'm sure is going to be some very therapeutic punching. They get to the designated punch zone, and there's a ton of other greasers and socias, but before they fight, Dallas Winston comes rolling up, fresh from the hospital and probably dragging an IV bag behind him like, Don't punch anyone without me! And then the fight starts, and they all punch each other a whole bunch, and the greasers win! Fuck those sissy rich bastards. And so Dally grabs Ponyboy and runs right back to the hospital to tell Dally, or blah, to tell Johnny that they kicked some Socha ass. Dally tells Johnny that he's proud of him. And that's all Johnny's ever wanted. No homo. And then he looks at Ponyboy and manages to say, Stay gold. Stay gold. And Dally begs Johnny not to die. And Johnny dies. Because Essie Hinton is a stone cold bitch. Those are her words. Those are not mine. Someone tweeted at her and was like, why'd you have to kill Johnny? And she tweeted back at them, because I'm a stone-cold bitch. Which, I mean, you were talking about power moves before. (laughs) She also corrected people who thought the line was, stay golden, pony boy. And she very aggressively says, no, it's stay gold. (laughs) She wants the truth to be out there. She doesn't want people to make mistakes. But she likes fan fiction? Well, because it's different. That's fan fiction. Yeah, I suppose. It's derivative. Ah. Dally abandons Pony, driving off in his car, and Pony stumbles around in a haze, unable to believe that Johnny's dead. He makes it home and tells the boys that Johnny is dead and that Dally is gone and probably going to do something crazy because, and I quote, Johnny was the only thing that Dally ever loved. No homo. And Pony's intuition is right. Dally calls the house and tells Derry that he robbed a grocery store and the cops are after him and to meet him at the vacant lot so they could help him hide. They get to the lot just in time to watch the police catch Dally, who pulls out his gun that he knows isn't loaded and points it at the cops who shoot him dead. It's been a fun few hours for Pony Boy and his pals. Pony passes out and sleeps for like four days because apparently he had a concussion from the rumble. Whoops. Ponyboy enters a severe depression because he is a small teen boy who had like six traumas in the span of about a week and a half and he doesn't leave his bed for seven days. He has the copy of Gone with the Wind that Johnny got him, but he can't even look at it. Eventually, he has to drag himself out to the hearing where he's cleared of any charges in Bob's death and is allowed to remain with his brothers. 
but he's still all hazy and fucked up, as you might imagine. He's blowing off school, and Derry gets mad at him and is like, okay, look, I know our friends are dead or whatever, but you still gotta go to math class. And then Derry, Soda, and Ponyboy do that thing where they all yell at each other and then cry together. Well, okay, I don't want to shit on the idea of boys crying and, and that being in touch with, like, their emotions and stuff. Hey, you've been doing that for about the last hour. Well, no, I, I pointed out the fact that they only seem to do those two specific things. And what's wrong with that? I know, toxic masculinity for Megan again. No! Why can't they do things, something else? I have things to Why say. Why can't they kill little animals? What? Yeah. I don't want them to kill little animals. Yeah. You were just in agreement with me about the fact that Essie Hing was giving them very simplistic emotional responses to things. And now you're just, just jumping to the other side of that one? Acting. Ugh. Pony's English teacher tells him if he can just write one really good personal essay, he'll give him a passing grade. Because, you know, that's how school works. Pony tries to think of what to write and picks up Gone with the Wind and a note flutters out. It's from Johnny. What do you think it says? Stay thirsty, my friend. <laughs> yeah. No, it's stay thirst, RJ. Oh. It says that Johnny is glad he gave his life for the little kids and that they have more to live for than he does. And just like, oh my god, Johnny, no, you poor sweet baby. Like, fuck those dumbass kids. They're playing a church that's on fire. How do you write that? I mean, just physically. <laughs> this is something I was wondering about. Like, I guess he had to dictate it to someone who wrote it for him. Because he was quite paralyzed. Um, he says that he thinks he understands the Robert Frost poem. And that being gold means being innocent. And that pony should stay gold. Not golden. And not lose his love of, you know, nature and, and books and sunsets and shit. Ponyboy decides to tell Johnny's story which is also Dally's story and his story and the story of all the greaser boys and writes the first sentence of the novel about movie theaters and Paul Newman and I'm sure his English teacher was just fucking thrilled when this kid handed in an entire novel. The end. And that's The Outsiders. So who else dies? Bob, Dally, Johnny. Did Dally die in the movie? Yes. Matt Dillon. Oh yeah, with the cops. That's yeah, right. that, yeah, that thing that we just... <laughs> So, as we've alluded to, I.E. is big on the Twitter. We may have mentioned that, yeah. And fans, like, reaching out there, asking questions, or they just talk about the novel in general, and she takes it upon herself to inject herself in the conversation or answer questions directly. Like they don't even at her? Well, some do. Okay. So this one person did at her and ask if there were, quote, any romantic feelings between Johnny and Dallas. And Hinton replied... Quote, no, where is the text backing this? And someone then uh, tweets saying that they just thought that it would be cute if, you know, there's like a relationship between a couple of the guys. She didn't like that. No, Hinted responded, ask someone in the 60s how cute it was to be gay. I have many friends I love and don't want to sleep with. <laughs> it's a little like, I've got plenty of friends and I love them very much and I definitely don't want to fuck them. She then doubled down and said, I have no problem with anyone being gay. Of course not. Longtime supporter of LGBT rights. Love them LGBT kids. No, they are not gay. I wrote them, I ought to know. Now, a couple things there just to unpack. She mm. says she I ought to know. So it doesn't mean she's actually saying she does know. <laughs> it's that she ought to know, but not that she actually does. Which then kind of invalidates her whole argument and anger about that an author is the one who knows all the answers and that's it. Um, yeah, she's not about that death of the author 
sort of thing, which, I mean, maybe because she's not dead. And then one reader added her and said, this whole thing is just trash. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they, They say, why would you reject young gay kids interpreting your characters in any way that makes them feel safe? How dare they look for representation? She replies, quote, Young gay kids can identify with the book without me saying the characters are gay. I never, ever set out to make anyone feel safe. I wrote this book so you would feel in danger. She says, I have no problem with the interpretation. If someone asks me if I wrote my characters that way, I will say no. I wrote The Outsiders when I was in high school in 1965. I did not know any LGBT people. That you knew of. I did know plenty of guys. <laughs> I knew so many dudes. Of course, they were all het, cis, white. <laughs> so people were kind of upset with her. They said she might be harboring some sort of homophobia, to which they said maybe she should apologize. And she said, quote, I said I did not write the characters that way. I apologize for nothing. The end. Now, on the one hand, I get it. Like... As a writer, I imagine if I was seeing people, like, saying, like, things that just felt like huge mischaracterizations of these characters and things that I created, I'd be like, no, like, no, that's not, you're, like, wrong. But on the other hand, also, do you need to, like, do you need to do it that intensely, that harshly, that, no, fuck you, they're straight, like, like, lady, let the kids live. Seriously. Now... Essie Hinton, like I said, we'll never probably hear this or know this podcast ever exists. Do not at her. But you want some textual analysis? You want me to pull from the text that there's some gay in there? I'm about to give my literature degree the best workout it's had in years. So, Dally and Johnny. That was the original thing that the person tweeted at uh, Essie Hinton. Could Dally and Johnny possibly have been romantically interested in each other? This is This is easy. This is, this is preschool. Dally is obsessed with performative masculinity, with this idea of looking very tough and being very scary and aggressively hitting on girls in a very visible and public way. Dally is the poster boy for big manly greaser, which, like, yeah, you're gonna overdo things if you're trying to hide your horrible, terrible gay feelings. And there's Johnny. Johnny is the one soft spot in Dally's otherwise hard-ass personality. He lets Johnny get away with talking to him in a way that would give anyone else an ass-kicking. He's incredibly protective of Johnny, and when Johnny dies, he has a total emotional breakdown and basically indirectly commits suicide by pulling a gun on a cop. Like, he knew what he was doing. He wanted to die because without Johnny, he suddenly couldn't find a reason to keep living. As I quoted before, Ponyboy literally says the words, Johnny was the only thing Dally loved. Like, you don't gotta dig that deep in the subtext. And here's the thing. I don't want to invalidate or, like, delegitimize platonic male intimacy or close relationships between men. Men should be allowed to have close, deep emotional relationships with other men without it being like, gay. And I think that if you read Ponyboy and Johnny's relationship the way Hinton intended, it doesn't diminish it. But I also think reading them as two teens confused about their feelings in general and for each other isn't that far of a reach. Because they're so close and they rely on each other for feelings of affirmation and validation and affection. And I can easily see this blossoming into a more romantic thing. 
Johnny murders a dude for him. They hide out in an abandoned church together. Pony reads Gone with the Wind to Johnny. They watch a sunset. They talk about poetry. They talk about how they want to escape from their lives. They're very touchy-feely. They sleep on top of each other. It's, it's not a reach. Except that Johnny... i reach around. Yeah, yeah. Johnny dies, which can also be interestingly interpreted. See, at the church, the boys are out of the city. They're free of this whole social framework of, like, the greasers and the socias and this idea of performative masculinity and how greasers are supposed to act and all of that. They can be themselves around each other and, like, were this an explicitly gay book, this is where they finally be able to explore, like, possible romantic feelings. The fire that brings them back home and ends up killing Johnny could be seen as symbolic in that it wrangles them back into society and their lives as greasers and illustrates that there's no room in Pony and Johnny's world to explore the potential of them falling in love with each other. And anyway, Pony himself is frequently referred to as, quote, different from the other members in his gang. This is explained with that kind of flimsy, like, he reads books and he thinks about things. But you could also read it as that part of why he holds so much stock in his identity as a greaser is because it's safe. It provides him with a close-knit group of friends, and because being any kind of queer in the 60s isn't safe. Or cute, apparently. And so instead of trying to sort out all the weird puberty feelings he's having, because he's, you know, 14, just mash him down. Cling to being a greaser. He also talks about how he's proud of and embarrassed by his name. He likes that the name Ponyboy is original and different, but he also doesn't like the negative attention it draws for being weird. These are not difficult parallels to draw. They write there in the text. Pony frequently talks about not feeling it with girls, and his conversations with Cherry are less like cute girl, yes, and more like this immediate kinship about how they both feel almost like outsiders looking in of their, both of their like respective peer groups. Which is also why I think that Cherry could be read as gay. The gay train keeps on rolling. She hates Bob. She does not like him, clearly. But she's obsessed with keeping up appearances and looking like a social girl should and being a cheerleader and dating the most popular boy and not talking to the greaser boys. It seems like it's an act, especially when you factor in how quickly she turns spy for the greasers. So it could be read in a similar way to Dally as, like, performative heteronormativity to hide the fact that she's a big old lesbian. Don't tweet that at Essie Hinton. But also, the text is rife with citations. So let's talk briefly about adaptations. There's not too much uh, to talk about there. Also, if you wanted to know which outsider is the gayest... It's Dally. Well, she answered... Because he's repressing it the hardest. Oh, she says, ask Matt Dillon. See, I'm right. And she knows I'm right. Because I pulled out all this analysis that Dally is probably the gayest one and is just hiding it the hardest. And Matt Dillon probably thought so too and played it that way. And so Matt Dillon plays Dally in the 1983 adaptation of the book directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and um, it launched a good half dozen or so careers, including not just Matt Dillon, but also Ralph Macchio, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, and Rob Lowe. Uh, the only one who really didn't benefit from it was, ironically, the guy who played Ponyboy, who's C. Thomas Howell, who, uh, you know what he is known for? He, uh, he stars in these direct-to-DVD asylum uh, movie ripoffs that were a thing for, like, a while, like... 
uh, there'd be a popular movie, and then Asylum would immediately make like a shitty low-budget version with a very similar title in the hopes of confusing people and tricking them into buying the wrong thing. So, C. Thomas Howell uh, has appeared in such gems as War of the Worlds Invasion, the same year the Spielberg one came out, with his uh, Outsiders co-star Tom Cruise, The Da Vinci Treasure, The Day the Earth Stopped, as opposed to, like, stood still, and The Land That Time Forgot. Sounds like a tough break. You know, you're starring in this movie and literally everyone else in it goes on to have some level of a successful career except you. And then in 2005, Coppola released the complete novel cut that added a good 20-plus minutes of footage and was considered more faithful to the overall novel. There's also a little-known TV series adaptation launched in 1990 that was meant to pick up where the original story left off. It lasted one season before getting axed. The most interesting thing I could find about it was that the first episode was introduced by Bart Simpson, because it was on Fox. So that's the thing. Hey, RJ. What's up? The Outsiders. Yep. Good. Bad. Gay. Four out of five S.E. Hinton tweets. <laughs> it's a lot of S.E. Hinton tweets. She said it in my DMs. Ew. Yeah. She, she got the thirst. I hope you use protection. Nope. So you don't have any further comments you want to make there? I mean, I feel we've discussed this a lot at this point. <laughs> I think it's very impressive someone 15, 16 years old put this together. Yeah. Obviously, I think painting with uh, some broad brush strokes, using what was available to her. As a 15-year-old might be wont to do. And a lot of what followed pulled from what she gave us. And so it's impressive. I don't think it's necessarily all that deep. I don't think it's necessarily all that complicated. I do think it's pretty on the surface in a lot of ways. But that's okay. Yeah. She's totally <laughs> soch, though. <laughs> Megan. Yeah, The Outsiders. Yep. Good, bad, or otherwise. So... It ended up becoming uh, very important in the greater scope of YA. And yeah, the prose is kind of clunky because it was written by a teen. And there are a lot of cliches in it, but then you run into that kind of territory where they're like, are they cliches because she did it first and like all YA forever after has copied her? Like opening your book with my name so-and-so. I have this color hair and this color eyes and blurp, 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 which all fucking YA books did for a very long time and still kind of do. Yeah, no, it's fucking rad that she wrote this book at 16 and it got published and it sucks as a grown woman who is turning 70 that she's so attached to something she wrote when she was 15 that she will fight randos on Twitter about it. It's better than most other 15-year-olds could do, that's for damn sure, but like the whole point is you you grow. And you you learn and you change and you maybe don't have to so fiercely defend the very famous, very popular book that you wrote before you were old enough to drive. No, no I, I don't know. It just, it really bugs me. But overall, I think it's a pretty good book. I don't know. It's very rooted in its time, I think. No, I disagree with that. Oh, okay. And I'll even point to a quote that I think... She, she does realize what her book is about. Okay. She says of The Outsiders, The teenage years are a bad time. You're idealistic. You can see what it should be. Unfortunately, you can see what it is too. See, that's really good. Why can't she just say shit like that and just leave it? 
You but party. it's good to show, like, unconventional families and whether or not they're gay or not to show, like, intimate, complex relationships between two guys. And that is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a thing that's keeping Pony Boy gold as opposed to becoming hard and mean and bad. So that's that's my thoughts on that. And that'll about do it for us on this episode of Ono oh Class. If you like us, you love us, you want some more of us, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You know, you give us give us a rating. Drop us a quick review. Just like a solid like thumbs up. Good good book jokes. We appreciate it. It helps us be more visible and people to to find us and we could be like, "Hey, you can also follow us on Twitter at OnoLiklasPod. RJ doesn't tweet anymore, even though he's he's making threats, but he's at RJ underscore OnoLiklas. You can like us on Facebook. You can join our Facebook group and send sick book memes back and forth to each other. You could pledge to our Patreon and get now get the sweet bonus content that we are now making along with stickers and posters and shirts and the ability to vote on the books that we do uh, next. We are on the Braintrust Network, which you can visit at braintrust.fm and check out all the other awesome shows that are on the network with us. And we'd like to thank Best Day for our, or our intro song. It's called Man of the Year. People have been messaging me again about that, being like, what the hell is that song? And I'm like, man, we never say that. This is Man of the Year. It's by Best Day. You can hear it and more stuff at soundcloud.com slash best-day. The next episode will be out on August 2nd. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. Stay gold. Bye. Acting. Acting. I know comedy. Yeah, it's tough living with a method actor, I know. It, you know, it really is. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Brain Trust Brothers Network. For more information about this podcast or others, visit braintrustbros.com.